This is Gruckology, the podcast of Gospel Reformation UK, and we want to thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Rieger, the minister of Hexham Presbyterian Church in Hexham, England, and one of the founders of Gospel Reformation UK. Before we get to our discussion today, we want to ask you if you'd help us out by subscribing to this podcast in whatever podcast listening app or device you use. And then if you could also go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, this will help us to better reach those who might be interested in our content. We want to provide content that helps you. If you have ideas for future podcast topics, feedback, or you just want to interact with us, you can get in touch on Facebook or Twitter. On Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash Reformation UK. And on Twitter, we are at Gospel Ref UK. We have a few special episodes this week. We're looking forward to our online conference on Thursday, Zoom Utopia, Suffering in the Glory of God. We want to begin to look at the problem of suffering. In this second episode, we will begin to make an approach to the question, why is there suffering? Well, welcome back to this uh, Grecology episode about uh, suffering, uh, suffering, and what does God have to say about suffering? So we actually had uh, a podcast yesterday about this. We were looking at um, just approaching the question, what actually is the question? The question is much bigger than just a few words that are used in asking it. And now we're going to look a bit more at uh, approaching and answering uh, the question um, responsibly. And I'm uh, joined by um, Josh Rieger from Hexham. Hi, Josh. Hello. It's good to be with you today. Great. And, uh, and Andy Young from, uh, from Oxford. Sunny Oxford, I'll let you know. Yeah, it's great yeah. to be here uh, back with you, back with you brothers. Well, it's just, it's just clouding over um, here in Chelmsford. But anyway, uh, we're indoors in front of our machine, so it doesn't matter. Indeed. So, um, so um, you, where we left off last time, um, Andy was talking about some quite important um, theological markers. And if someone's suffering, they may not want to immediately hear this. I suppose part of that shows it's important to prepare people for suffering uh, before it happens. Um, but there's some important um, things that we need to, some important truths that we're, we're working within um, that have to be, uh, we have to be reminded of. And um, so, uh, Andy, do you want to take us to where we, where we, um, where you left off from? Yeah, just a, a very briefly recap on what we did in the previous podcast. You know, we we introduced the subject of suffering and acknowledge this is this is a tough one and it's highly personal. But also, we need to appreciate the question. We need to appreciate it's a good question. We need to appreciate it's a biblical question. We need to appreciate the assumptions behind the question that are often not exposed. The assumptions of right and wrong, good and evil, and that the. The atheist really has got more of a problem with suffering than we do as Christians, because if God doesn't exist, does suffering exist? Does even the category of evil and pain and wrong exist? And I'd suggest in their worldview, they're going to struggle to explain that. But also they need to appreciate, we need to appreciate what a what a huge question, enormous question this is. It's not just, you know, why did the Holocaust happen? Why did the, the Haiti earthquake happen? Why did, why did this, that, and the other happen with, with, catastrophic natural disasters and many people dying. It's why does anything wrong happen? Why don't we live a full, perfect life? Why is that? And, and, and that is a wonderful segue into the gospel. But having appreciated the question, uh, we need to approach it even before we answer it. Now, by approaching it, we're in a sense going to start answering the question. But nonetheless, I think it's helpful for us to identify 
I want to identify four, and there would be more, but four truths, four realities that we need nailed down uh, as we approach this question. Because if we don't have these nailed, we're going to get into trouble. These are kind of safeguards for us that as we as we wrestle with this question, as we try to answer this question, they will safeguard us from from going astray biblically, theologically, pastorally, and and pragmatically. And surprise, surprise, the first one's this: God. Our theology, we are what we think, aren't we? I mean, we are what we think. You you hear people say you are what you eat. There's some there's some truth of the truth of that. You are what you think. You are what you think. And what you think about God will shape your life. And so what do we need to affirm, guys, as we approach this question of suffering? What do we need to affirm about, about God, do you think? Any thoughts? You know, I, one of the one of the passages that I quote a lot in my own congregation, I, it's one of my favorite verses about God. It's one of the things I praise him for. In Psalm 119, it says that God is good and he does good. And I think if we just buy yes. that, that's exactly, not just by that, that sounds wrong. If we just hold on to that truth, if we just cling to that truth, it helps explain so yeah. much of what we're facing. Right, absolutely. I think also the um, that he is God. And so um, there's lots of verses where he talks about, I am God, there is no other, my ways are not your ways, and such like. And so I think often we, we think of God as a comparison. So he's like me, but a bit taller. Kind of thing. He's yes, um, yes. Uh, he's a bit old, yeah. You know, and, and of course, we mean much, 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 much more so. And 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 we really big him up. And but no, he's actually different. Again, he's a different mode of being. So it's not even like comparing me with a mouse. You know, I'm a bit yes, cleverer and yes. bigger. Um, but we're still of a similar type of species. Where where God is of um, is on just another plane. So that's why some of this God has revealed some of these things to us, um, and He's revealed them truthfully. Truthfully, we, we know them truly, but there's a point to which we do hit a brick wall because we're finite. And right. So, and, so um, and, and I think when we're talking about God, and Josh mentioned his goodness, and so one of the questions is the goodness of God. But when we realize who God is, the question then becomes the godness of good. So yes, God is the yes. one who defines goodness by his own standard. When we argue with God, if we're saying God is not good, what we're really doing is saying we're arguing with someone in middle management, we called God, but we're still referring him to a higher standard. Um, you know, there's still someone above him. Um, I love so, that. So you just you just push the problem down the line to whoever God's yes. boss is. So so it doesn't solve the problem at all. Um, so I think all these things about God, about he, he's good, he is, and good is Godness, and um, it's defined on his terms. He's powerful. He's infinite. He's of a different um, plan. It also means we're talking yeah. about him being sovereign. As yes. Well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is so important, isn't it? And uh, I think it was Cornelius Van Til, I wasn't there, but rumour has it by many of his students, he would very often draw a diagram on on the whiteboard or the blackboard or whatever it was. Probably one of the most important diagrams in, in, theological, in the theological world. And you just draw two circles, a circle above a circle that weren't connecting. So just think of like like think about the number eight, but not joined. Two circles, one above the other, and he'd write God in the top one, and he'd write everything else in the bottom one, mm. and and that he would say was one of the most important theological diagrams you can ever draw, because it's communicating really what what we're trying to say here. God is not us; he is other. Mm. He is solitary. He is supreme. He is unique. He is above and beyond his creation. 
And this is really important to root in this, in this as we approach this question of suffering. We can't take God and distill him and his purposes. We can't put him in a test tube as his creatures and poke him around and say, well, what about this? And what about, what about the other? And what about, you know, it's what I love. I, I thought you were going to go here, Josh. I love the quote from Psalm 119, but here's another one. You know, it's Job who in the face of suffering and destruction and loss and trial, he says, the Lord has given, the Lord takes mm-hmm. away. Blessed be the name yeah. of the Lord. What does he do? He, he doesn't say, you know, well, what's going on here, God? You know, and put him, try and dissect it. He, he just gets on his knees and worships because he realizes he's dealing with somebody who isn't a somebody, who is the most important being in the whole universe. Yeah, that's and right. If we don't nail this theologically, if this isn't part of our framework, part of our paradigm, we're going to struggle to answer the question uh, about sovereign, uh, about about suffering. I remember so clearly one of my best friends in uh, in high school had a, a T-shirt that I'll never forget. He said, uh, there are two things I know. And then the back said, there is a God. I'm not him. <laughs> Which is there a very go. good summary of the book of Job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. Right. Job's right. problems. I, the, 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 his friends come up with his answers. And then when God steps in, you go, oh, here we're going to get the proper answer. And actually goes, did you make clouds? But God's answer is, um, could you even cope with your answer? And do you yes, even exactly. know who you're talking to kind of thing? And, it, yeah. and so actually Job then teaches more about how we cope and respond to suffering than give us a nice pub quiz answer to why is there suffering. Well, um, I, I remember right. so you, so often Ligon, when we, I was at, at Jackson at, at the church with Ligon Duncan, he used to always say, we're, we're always, even as Christians who acknowledge God's sovereignty, we're always looking for what is the reason that God did this? And, and he, he said, yeah. the problem is there's no one reason, you know, God is infinite and, and has yeah. infinite purposes and, and our minds are finite. And even in perfection, we don't have the possibility to comprehend all of what God's doing. And, and there's millions upon millions of reasons for every every action. And, and when we begin to start to think in such simplistic terms, we have yeah. broken what Andy was talking about earlier, those two circles. We begin to move ourselves into the circle that is- Yeah, God. merge them. Yeah. They become a Venn right. diagram, don't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. Right. And that means we cannot grasp fully what he's doing. Um, and, and that humbles us that's that's why the sovereignty of god it's it's a hum, it's a humbling doctrine for, for 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 all of us because it puts us in our place we're creatures we're finite we're dust we're going to return to the dust we don't understand everything and we do not have the right like the like the clay with the potter you know the clay does not have the right to shake its fist at god and say why did you not make me this that or the other or give me the perfect life now, this is, doesn't answer all the questions, by the way. But And also pastorally, one, th- it doesn't answer all the questions, but this is a source of immense help to God's people who suffer. That, you know, I, I, I remember going in to visit some friends of mine who, who one of their children had just died very, very young in a cot death. And, uh, what, and my wife and I went in to, to visit them and, you know, we, we barely could hold it together. There were a lot of tears shed that night. But what we walked away we were astounded by was how this this couple were clinging to the sovereignty of God. Mm. We don't know. This is hurting. You know, genuine tears of despair, but we know God knows what he's doing. 
And that was an amazing help to God's people. Without the sovereignty of God, without his infinite power and his wonderful goodness, though we cannot see it, he, he, we can trust him for it. And I think that's wonderful. You're, you're, you mentioned the guy with the T-shirt, Josh. That reminds me of a this, – this is a true story. As a teenager, I was walking down the high street in Cardiff, which if you don't know where Cardiff is, that's the capital city of the, the wonderful uh, country called Wales. And I was walking down there. I think I was on my way to a guitar shop to buy or look at some wonderful guitars I'd love to have bought. And anyway, uh, it was a pretty packed high street. And I was walking down. This guy was walking towards me with this black T-shirt on and in white writing. It had on the front of his T-shirt, God is dead, Nietzsche. And I passed him. I turned around. I don't know why. I just turned around. And on the back of his T-shirt, it had Nietzsche is dead, God. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that on a mug. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's pretty pointed. But um, it, it shows actually that we cannot, it's all in good for us to rail at God and poke that, you know, God's dead. Where is he in suffering, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know what? God is from everlasting to everlasting. <laughs> he will outlast all of us. And our, our puny threats and, and, and shakings of fists, you know, we need to trust him and realize that he's sovereign. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, think, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that um, this is what we were saying in the last cast, I think it was about not defending God from himself. So I think some people go, oh, no, this terrible thing has happened. We don't want them cross with God, better tell him it wasn't his fault. And, and the couple you were talking about are actually grasping onto his sovereignty. That actually this is within something that God, God hasn't dropped the ball here, um, even if we can't explain yes. it. Um, yes. and, but, but having said that, um, the fear of being, people being angry with God is, is also unjustified because when you go through the Psalms, people, the, a, a genre of Psalm is a complaint. And the people yes. are angry with God in the Psalms. Now, what the Psalms do, of course, is they do it with, within a certain framework. And it, they, they, a lot of them are that sort of U-shape, aren't they, where they sort of go down and then, and then turn around when they, when they come to some realization of some, some yes. truth about God. But, but I think the thing is, is that um, when we're talking about these extreme circumstances, um, uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone framed it as God isn't a prickly maiden aunt who is easily offended. Um, and so it actually, God understands if you're holding the corpse of your child in your arms, you might be a bit upset with him. Yes. You know, he, he can handle that. But, but then the thing to do is to take that raw emotion and, and, um, and the Psalms are actually a great place to process it and, yeah, and to take yes. it through, and God will take you through the valley of death. With, and well, and when we... And when we begin yeah. to recognize this uh, this uh, element of that he is God, you know, this first thing, we got to remember that as Christians, our worship is, you know, uh, Ligon, uh, Duncan, I mentioned him already. He says, our worship is ultimately rooted in God's character, not in our circumstances. Now, our circumstances give yes, us a launching yes, point for our worship. You know, they give us the opportunity to, yeah. pr- pr- I always differentiate between praise and thanksgiving, but our worship is because of who he is. And our circumstances yes. demonstrate yeah. who he is, but it's his character that we worship him for. That that statement about his goodness. God is God, yeah. he's a good God, and we've got to hold on to that. Yeah, yeah. So as we approach this question, I think this is one of the first realities we've got to have really sorted out, that God is God. But then there's another one, and that is that God made the world, and he made the world perfect. You know, it it was good, 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 it was very good. There was a time when there wasn't suffering, and there 
there will be a time when there won't be suffering as well. The wonderful hope of the new heavens and, and the new earth where there won't be any shedding of tears, etc. But there was a time when God did not make the world a, a place of suffering and trial and difficulty. Now, he's sovereign over it. Uh, and uh, but but this is an important point, I, I, and I, we've made the the point about God being sovereign first. But this must come second, and that is God has made us responsible. He made Adam truly free. We are now marred and encumbered by sin, but but we are responsible for our sin. We are responsible for some of the decisions we make, and in His sovereignty, He has made us responsible. And one of the questions I often ask is when when the fist is shaken at God or the, or the, the, the finger is pointed at Christians, where's God in suffering, in natural disasters? Well, what, what about the responsibility of man? You, 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 it's a right question to say, look, how did God allow the Holocaust to happen? I'm not saying you, you never bring God into the question, but at some point we've got to say, wait a minute, the Nazis perpetrated the Holocaust. Man did it to man. And we are responsible for our actions. Why are you shaking the fist at God when you should be shaking the fist at man? We are responsible for it. Right, when we, Any thoughts on this? Well, a couple of thoughts. So one of them is when we do shake the fist at God and say, why didn't you stop the Holocaust, for example, um, is uh, I don't want God to intervene with any of my sin. So <laughs> right. I want God to stop every right. of sin but mine. Um, and, um, and I think, of, of course, that wouldn't explain uh, disease, earthquakes, and so on, or, or, or wouldn't explain all of them. Um, so we'll come on to that in a second. The other thought about God's perfect creation means that death is unnatural. And, and yes. I found that pastorally really helpful when I've said that to people. We kind yes. of pause and go, oh, yeah. So if you think about um, some people that we've met, uh, so people I know quite well have moved across the world. I'm not going to see them again in all of livelihood. Uh, I suppose now it's easier to communicate with them but I don't, um, and I don't. I don't grieve that. So when someone then goes, so thinking about some of the people I've met in your churches, I met them once, and I'd be pretty upset to hear that they died. Why? I don't know them any better than quite a good friend who moved across the world. Um, so um, it's, it's death is different to just oh, I miss them. It's unnatural, yes. and something in you screams out, "That's not right. That's that's wrong." And, uh, and I, I think that's quite a helpful pastoral thing about. This is this God didn't create death in that sense, or it's not in the created order. Yeah. Right, 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 right. I, I think that's very helpful, Darren. Absolutely, uh, and I think this is actually another good point that could be made as a wonderful entry point for the gospel, or at least for the hope of the gospel. Is when when people say, "Where's God in suffering?" We can say, "Well, wait a minute. God didn't God, God didn't create the world to be a place of suffering. So so why has suffering come in? Oh, and by the way." God offers us a correction to this suffering. He offers us a hope beyond this suffering, beyond this unnaturalness of death, trial and suffering. And that's eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a time when there won't be suffering. And so actually, this, we, far, far from being afraid of this question, actually the, uh, the two, first two chapters of Genesis and the last few chapters of Revelation and other chapters of the Bible, I'm thinking of Isaiah 65 and other wonderful passages that depict the new heavens, the new earth, actually are a reason for us to go, hey, we've got an answer to suffering. Mm -hmm. As we approach this question, the created order that was good and very good actually holds out to us hope. That, that this isn't what God intended to do in the first place, and it's not what he will do in the, in the last place. 
And he's going to work all things out for the good of those who love him in the meantime. Yeah, that's right. Though we may be called to suffering. And that, of course, leads us to a third point, a third reality. We need to nail our doctrine of God. We need to understand our doctrine of creation. But then, of course, I'm sure some of you will be able to guess where I'm going to go next, and that's sin. Uh, Sin identifies for us the cause of the problem. And this is why I think a lot of not just non-Christian commentators, but Christian commentators wrestle and struggle with this question. If you don't, we've talked about this before, Josh, in a, in a previous podcast. I can't remember which one. Um, but if you don't understand, if you don't have a reformed worldview of, of, of humanity and of sin, you're, gonna, you're in real trouble, basically. You can't answer the questions. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is the coronavirus a judgment. You can't answer that question fully or adequately unless you understand Genesis 3 and the fall of man. And what we see in Genesis 3 and the fall of man is the root problem. Now, this is really important to identify because if we don't get this, we won't understand what God, part of the answer, what God is doing by sending Jesus Christ. Because people sometimes go, okay, there's there's holocausts, there's natural disasters, there's earthquakes, there's flooding, people are dying everywhere, there's pandemics, and you send someone to die on the cross? What's that all about? That doesn't help. Why don't you end world poverty? The point is they've misidentified the cause. They're actually trying to deal with symptoms and not causes. You know, I don't know, this has happened to me. You go to the doctor and you've got this pain in your shoulder and you say, doctor, doctor, I've got this pain in my shoulder. Can you help me? What do I need? Do I need physiotherapy? Whatever. And he, he examines you and he says, actually, you've got a problem in your, in your hamstring. And you go, what? No, the pain's in my shoulder. And you say, yeah, it's just a third pain. That's a symptom. The real problem is this muscle is out of sync with that muscle and this backbone with that, you know, I would want to get all technical with you, but you, you see, and this is the problem. What, the root problem behind suffering is sin, is our rebellion against God, is when Adam and Eve turned away from God. And so if we want suffering to be dealt with, we need that dealt with first. Any thoughts yeah, on that, I, guys? I love in Genesis, I love or hate, I guess, in Genesis 3, Uh, You know, the woman has just been deceived by the serpent. And it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make man wise, to make one wise. And you think, uh, man, that is the biggest lie in the history of the world. And she bought it hook, line and sinker. And so we're here saying that it wasn't uh, it wasn't to be desired to make man wise. It was what has brought every suffering that has happened since then. And that's exactly right. It, It is just terrible. And I think also where the Bible goes for this is it's not just, a, again, it's not a karma issue. It's not that. Um, uh, right. Um, we, we, so you touched on this earlier, Andy, that often suffering is to do with um, human um, sin. So there is there is sometimes a cause and effect and, and actually can cause innocent suffering. So you gave the example of the Welsh, um, um, that, that disaster, with, which is all to do with mismanagement and selfishness and bad planning and, and so on. Um, but that doesn't explain a volcano eruption that kills somebody. Um, but right, actually, right. but that but sin does in that you might yes. talk, you might not think. Well, hang on, someone didn't do something naughty, and then there was a big wave. Um, but what it what it does say is that um, um, Genesis, and it's referred to frequently through the Bible, is that God is a judgment on not just on people but on the earth. Um, and so yes. now the whole created order. Is is now out of sync. If that's the right word. So 
you, you, start, you see this at the beginning of the Bible when you see it being replaced at the end, where we're not just the relationship between humanity and God is broken, but not just that relationship. And often evangelicals focus on that, understandably, but our relationship yeah. with each other is broken. Yeah. Our relationship with, yeah. with the ground is broken as well. Yeah, so you've yes. got these two sides, and you mentioned one of them already, Andy, but but Darren mentions the other. First of all, uh, because of sin, sin is treason, it is a rebellion against the sovereign of the universe. And yeah. and the the result of that, the wages of sin is death, Romans tells us. The, the result of that is there is a judgment on sin. A good God must yeah. judge sin. The other side is that 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 we also see that you already mentioned is that sin separates us from God. And so not only is yes. there a, a right judgment on sin, which is God's wrath, but there's also a separation from the only source of every good and perfect gift. You know, James yeah. tells us that God is the the father of lights, uh, gives every good and perfect gift flows from the father of lights. And, and, and we see that, so we have this wrath of God being poured out on sin, but we also see that we're separated from the only thing that can actually give us any good. Right. And this goes back to what we were talking about uh, in the previous podcast about appreciating the question. Unless we appreciate the depth and extent of this question, we're not just asking, why did, why did the Holocaust happen? Why is there pandemics? We're, we're asking, why does anyone die? Why does anything bad happen? It's a huge question. And the only adequate answer for that is sin is exactly what you're saying, Josh. We have been separated from our maker. Go back to that Van Til, you know, the, the, the circle, is, is that the, the, the creation in its entirety, not just men and women and children, but creation in its entirety has, has been marred and is broken and is in rebellion and is groaning because of the weight of sin. And that's the real problem. That's the real problem. And unless we identify that, we're not going to, we won't understand what God is doing in Jesus Christ to deal with the problem of suffering, let alone actually have any help in the, in the question as we wrestle with it. Well, and we have we have one more point then also, don't we? So we've looked right. at uh, we've looked at God, the doctrine of God, very generally at the doctrine of creation, at the doctrine of sin, and uh, we want to also consider that that uh, that one of the base doctrines that helps us to approach this question is the devil. Right, and, and this is the one that might surprise a few people, but I think is really really important. I think this is one reason why philosophers struggle with this question and can't give adequate answers. And I, I would include Christian apologists here is that unless we reckon with the evil one, that he is alive and kicking, he's like a roaring lion, roaming around the earth, seeking whom he may devour, uh, that under God's sovereignty, he exercises some strength and some power. Unless we realize this, then we're going to be bereft of giving a full answer. It was Francis Schaeffer who once said, the only way to understand evil in this world is to recognize the evil one behind the evil. The only way to recognize evil, understand evil in this world, is to recognize the evil one behind the evil. And I think it was actually J.C. Ryle who said that to deny the existence of the devil means you're one step away from denying the existence of God, well, which is really, really interesting. And we've already talked about Job, haven't we? But Job's a perfect picture right. of what a role there we Satan go. plays in in suffering. Yes. Not, not that that uh, every time suffering happens, there's that same conversation we see at the beginning of Job, but but clearly as we look at that book, Satan has a role that he is playing a significant yes. role in suffering. Right. Now we need to affirm here. We need to 
reaffirm God's sovereignty. Too often, I, I often say this when I'm, I don't often, but a few, a few times I've said in preaching or teaching or pastorally, you know, we too often think of God and the devil having a tug of war match. Do you know what I mean by mm-hmm. tug of war? You know, uh, does this translate to an American audience? Um, you know, you, you know, you've got a long rope, you've got two teams pulling and it's back and forth, back and forth. And we think of God, we think of God like that. Okay. He's not. I don't know if you've, you've I don't, I, I grew up with dogs. Um, I know Darren's got a dog, but have you, ever, have you ever seen those retractable leads? Yeah. And the little mutt is, is running away from its master and the master presses the button and zzz, the little mutt, it's got to be a little one. It wouldn't work on a Rottweiler, but, and the poor thing gets half strangled and zipped back in. When we think about God and the devil, it's not a tug of war. God has a retractable lead that all he has to do is press the button and the devil is reined in. He can only go as far as God allows him to. And again, Job 1 teaches us that. But God does allow him sometimes to go and to to harry and to hurt and to um, you know do his evil deeds on earth. And we need to recognize this. I, now that I can't draw lines. I can't go, this pandemic is an assault of the evil one. I, I can't do that. But but we do need to recognize the existence and activity of the evil one. Well, we've so we've spent a little bit of time today uh, approaching the question. We we spent yesterday appreciating the question, appreciating approaching the question today. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of time tomorrow to answer the question. Uh, but I, I have one question for Andy before we we finish today. How uncivilized do you think Americans are that we do not understand tug of war? I mean, come on, where, where's that? Like, I, I, anyway, I don't I know. I, I we, we don't I, understand. I, this is a great question. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what right. was that, Darren? It's so basic to life skills. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, I, I just it's it's so native to you know we go to country fairs and and summer fairs and school fates and there'll be tug of war matches and you know uh, coconut shires and you know apple dunking and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I just didn't know if this sort of thing happen, happened happened so in, um, in America. I understand. Or not. Yes, we do the same places. You know, we have county fairs and things like that. Coconut shires, I'm not sure about, but apple dunking and tug of wars, we do those. <laughs> you need to come back to the next podcast to find out what coconut shires are all about. <laughs> this was great, guys. Uh, I know we've, um, there's so much more that could be said about this, but we're just trying to nail an approach. We appreciate the question, but also an approach to the question. And come back tomorrow, and we're going to actually try to actually answer the question with these three things in mind. Great to be with you guys. Yes. <laughs>